Who in here has a to-do list? A few of you. How many of you keep your to-do list on a written piece of paper? You have a tangible, actual to-do list. Some of you. How many of you actually have migrated your to-do list as digital? It's on the phone, on somewhere. Anyone? Yeah, a couple of you do that. How many of you have both? Here you are, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what to make of that. You've put on your to-do list, like, go with one or the other. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let, me, let, me ask you, let me ask you this further question. Anyone who had a to-do list, you said yes. Put your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Put your hand up. Keep it up. You said you have a to-do list. Keep it up. Put it up. All right, now leave your hand up if you also have a stop-doing list. If you have a list of things you are going to stop doing. All right, a few, a few of you, but not nearly as many as those of us that have to-do lists. And some of you have just thought, now I'm going to put on my to-do list to create a stop-doing list. And that may be a good idea. A lot of us have to-do lists, not many of us have stop-doing lists. But it is actually a good practice that probably all of us should consider. Jim Collins was the first person I ever heard talk about having a stop-doing list. I heard him speak one time and he asked that same question just like that. And I, like you, said, I got a to-do list and I was all excited, but I do not have a stop-doing list. Collins is a um, writer of uh, business books, good to great, built to last, Stanford University professor. But he was challenged by this concept a number of years back after he graduated from Stanford University and one of his professors said to him, you know, Jim, you are a really busy person, but you're pretty undisciplined. And he kind of thought, <laughs> I mean, he graduated from Stanford. He was, he was working his way up in a company. He was doing really well. He said, you know, I had my three priorities. He said, I had my BHAGs. You know what BHAGs are, right? Jim Collins, he had his big, hairy, audacious goals, right? He said, I had BHAGs. I had my three priorities. I was set. I knew how I was doing. How could she possibly say this? And she said, Jim, you, you, you are busy, but you're undisciplined. And he thought about it, and he, she actually walked him through a little bit of an exercise, and he discovered that, what he, that she was right, <clears throat> that he was very busy, but he was not very disciplined, not just in what he was doing, but in what he would stop doing. And it led to some major changes in Jim's life. At that point, he was working for Hewlett-Packard, and he was working his way up the company, and he thought, this is my career path, and he had his kind of future laid out, and he was doing really well. He was going to be a businessman, but as he thought about it, and the things he needed to stop doing, and what God had really, uh, well, I guess not what God, I inserted that God language there. I don't know what Jim considered, what someone thought, what he thought was the best thing to do. I don't know what Jim's relationship with God is, but what he thought was what he really wanted to do. And he figured out this wasn't it. He didn't want to be at Hewlett-Packard. So he left, his, he left Hewlett-Packard. And he became a professor and a researcher at Stanford University. He went on to write best-selling books, good to great and built to last. And he discovered that even though he was doing a lot before and he was busy, but he was very undisciplined. And it's a truth about all of us. What he discovered about many of the greatest companies in the world is they not only have things that they endeavor to do, but they also know what they're not supposed to do and what they're supposed to stop doing. The truth is about us that it's very easy for us to say yes to things and sometimes hard for us to say no to things. I know this is true because we say yes to a lot of things without saying no to something else. 
Uh, I know this is true because uh, one of the biggest growing businesses in our country right now is storage units. Storage units is one of the most lucrative and growing businesses in the country. Millions of square footage dedicated to storing stuff that we can't say no to. We don't need it in our house, but we don't want to say no to it. So we put it in storage units. And we, so we can get more stuff and say yes to it. And this is, I, I know we just, we have a lot of stuff. We, it's hard for us to say no to things. But saying yes to everything often creates problems. Saying yes to everything often creates problems in our lives. You can't do it. You can't say yes to everything without saying no to other things. In fact, every yes is going to lead to, it should lead to, if it's done right, many other no's. But we're not very good at that sometimes. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, he said it this way. He said, I'm as proud of many things we haven't done as the things we have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. And actually, this is a part of a larger quote of Jobs that he says, people think focus is saying yes to something and then going after it. But really, focus is saying yes to something and no to a thousand other things. And the truth is that in order to be focused, in order to say, when you say yes to something, you need to say no to other things. And when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to following God, I think that many times there's some of us who say, well, I haven't, I'm not growing like I want to in the Lord. I feel like I should be more spiritually mature with God. I mean, I've been going to church, I've been doing, I've been doing this thing for a while, and why aren't I going deeper? Why aren't I more mature in the Lord? I think one of the reasons can be is because oftentimes you may have said yes to God, but you have stopped short of things that you need to say no to in your life. In fact, saying yes to God is saying no to a thousand other things if we were going to adapt Jobs' language. Saying yes to God is saying no to a thousand other things. But the truth is, many of us come and we say, yeah, I want God. I want what you have, what you're offering. Yes, I'll take it. I want to say yes. But we stop short of saying no to a thousand other things, and it stunts our growth, and it keeps us from going where God wants us to go. But saying yes to everything creates problems. And I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning. Let me talk about the series we're jumping into. We're starting a new series today. Um, and uh, go to that previous slide there. You can see the, the new series comes, Breaking the Cycle, from uh, we're doing a sermon series on the book of Judges. Uh, and this is going to be interesting. I've never preached the book of Judges before. It's a first for me. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. But... We believe at Mount Hope that every part of God's word has something to say about who God is and who we are and something to say about how we are to know God and what we're to know about God. So we've never gone through the book of Judges before as a church. We're going to go through this together. Uh, if you've never read Judges, it is a very dark book of the Bible. It is a very violent book of the Bible. Uh, if you've never read it, you may hear a story in there and go, I didn't know. That was in the Bible. I didn't know that could be in the Bible. 
But it's all God's word, and we believe it has something to say about us, something to say about God's people. See, the way God teaches us about himself is his interaction with his people. He's chosen to do that. And in the Old Testament, he had the people of Israel. And uh, when his interaction with them was supposed to teach everyone who ever lived, all the world, about who he is. And so the book of Judges is in a very violent time of history. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But there's some incredible stories of what happens there that teach us a lot, actually, about us, about who we are, and then also teaches us, of course, about who God is. So we're going to jump into that. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open to the book of Judges. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, look for one in a chair rack right near you. There should be one right there. And open it up to the book of Judges. It's near the beginning. And if you're using one of the books in the chair racks, it's at page 200, right about page 200. Open your Bible to the book of Judges. I want you to see that. We're going to look at this text this morning. Um, And we're going to look not actually at the book of Judges this morning. In this first message, I want to give you a little bit of background, we're actually going to start a little bit before the book of Judges. So when you find the book of Judges, page 200, flip back one page. Flip back one page. And if you flip back one page, or if you're on your device, click back just a little, scroll up just a little, you will find that you are now in the book of Joshua. Joshua. In your Bible, Joshua comes right before Judges. And here's why that's convenient. Because historically, Joshua came right before Judges. In fact, when we get into Judges chapter 1 next week, the very first words of the very first chapter of the very first verse of the book of Judges say, after Joshua had died. And so it's picking up right in that place of history. So I want us to, this morning in our first message of the series, actually look at where it's picking up. What was going on in Joshua? I want us to look at Joshua chapter 24, and then next week we'll actually get into the book of Judges, but it's important for you to have this context as we walk into it. Let me just give you a quick snapshot where we are in in, in the history of God's people. God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt after hundreds of years, miraculously, That's an incredible story. If you haven't read it, book of Exodus, read it. Who lives miraculously out of slavery in Egypt out of Pharaoh. Takes him across the the river that he separates and then brings his people miraculously into another land that he's going to give them for them to be able to set up as the land uh, for them to be a nation that they can be an example to the world of God's people and who God is and And he helps them to win battles, and many of those battles were led by a man named Joshua. Joshua, at the end of Joshua, in chapter 24, he's just about at the end of his life, and he knows it. At the end of his life, he's lived his life, and he knows it. And like any good father coming to the end of his life, he's concerned about those that are going to be left behind after he leaves. He's concerned about the people of Israel. He's concerned that they're not going to keep going in the right direction, just like any father would be for their kids, right? You could say, man, I go, do they have everything they need? Are they going to do what's right? And so he comes to the end of his life, and he gives a speech, and he gives a call, and it has to do with what he wants them to say yes to and what they need to say no to. So Joshua chapter 24, pick it up in verse 14. Here's Joshua speaking to the people near the end of his life, and here's what he says. 
Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. There's the yes. Say yes to God. Here comes the no. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he calls them to make this huge decision. He says, look, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be around. I want you to make this decision once and for all for you. Choose who you're going to serve. He says, say yes to God. But then he also says, if you're going to do that, just know that you are saying no to all these other gods. Now, what were the gods? Well, for them, they were literal idols, gods. What you would think of when I say that. Sometimes carved images, sometimes metal objects, sometimes jewelry that would represent a God that they would wear in their ears. Uh, They had literal things that would represent the, the, the God's small g in the land that they lived in. And Joshua says, say no to all of them. But you're sitting here and you're going, well, I don't have my little carved images. Maybe you do. Some of you come from a culture where that was the case. Some of you come from a world, or maybe you grew up, and that was the case, and this is a one-to-one correlation for you, and so you can apply it even easier. But many of us didn't come from that culture where maybe you had little gods, a polytheistic culture where you have maybe little gods in your house or your neighborhood or your community. But what is a god? A god for them was something they put their trust in, was something they put their trust in for provision, for protection, for security, for fertility, for legacy, for all of that stuff. That was their god. And if we look at it that way, is there anything in my life that I look to other than God Almighty, heaven above, is there anything in my life that I look to for my ultimate protection and provision, security, healing, all those things in my life? Is there anything in my life that I look to as that? Then Joshua is saying there's some things that may be God's in your life. Because the truth is, we're good at saying yes to things, but it's a lot harder for us to say no. Here's, here's an example of how I know that. Last year, one of the things that came out, Disney Plus came out, and a lot of people said, I'm going to take on and have Disney Plus. But we didn't get rid of Netflix and Hulu and YouTube and all the other subscriptions that we have. We just said, yes, we'll have more. And it's like that with all kinds. You have all kinds of subscriptions, Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, $5 a month, $10 a month. It's easy for us to say yes. And we do this in all areas. Of our, yeah, I'll take God. We say yes. But we don't often recognize all the things we need to also say no to. Sometimes we enter into a commitment and we say yes to something, we don't realize the seriousness of the commitment. And it's right for us to consider what the seriousness of the commitment is. Maybe it's like the young kid who's getting ready to go into the military. And he's 17 years old, about to turn 18, and he's wide-eyed, and he's excited. 
And he's seen the commercials on TV, and he is ready to go be all he can be. He's ready to aim high. He's ready to do whatever the Navy one is. I don't know. Sail the seas. Sean, what's it? Anyone know the Navy one? No. No Navy guys? All right. We don't know. All right. All right. But he's ready to do whatever the Navy people do. Um, and he's ready to go, and he's excited, and he's going to fly the planes. He's going to drive the ships. He's going to do the cool stuff. He's going to do all that. And then he's sitting across the table from, you know, Henry Hayes, who's about to retire in a couple months from 28 years, is it? Almost 28, 20 years in the military. And Henry's like, buddy, you don't know what you're getting into. (laughs) Yeah, it's all of that. But there's a lot more that you don't realize. You may know what you're saying yes to, But you don't realize all you're saying no to and all the other things that are going to go on that you're going through. And sometimes I think when it comes to following God, it's like that. We haven't considered the seriousness of the commitment we're making. Because the truth is saying yes to God and saying no to a thousand other things is easier said than done. So much easier said than done. It's easy for us to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Okay, I'll say no to some things. Easier said than done. Joshua knew it. Let's keep going in the passage. Pick up in verse 16. Here's what the people answered. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And I'm going, amen, all right. I mean, if I was leading these people, all right, we're on the same page. I mean, if all of you, this would be like all of you this morning standing up, shouting, yeah, we're going to follow God. We're saying yes to Jesus. And I'd be like, all right, did my job. We're out of here. Good to go, good to go. Joshua doesn't believe him. Look at the next words. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. They were just like all gung-ho. They were all excited. Yes, I mean, he just got the best altar call ever. Everyone said they're, they're in. And he says, I don't believe you. You're not able to serve the Lord. You, he, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. What is he getting at? He's not going to put up with all these other gods. He's not going to put up with all this other stuff in your life. He is God alone. And if you're saying yes to him, you're saying no to any other gods in your life. So he goes on. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. 
and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be witness, a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his own inheritance. Saying yes to God means saying no to a thousand other things, and it's easier said than done. Here's one of the most interesting parts of this passage we just read to me. And he said, verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Here's these people that are supposed to be God's people. They're serving God, they're loving God, and they somehow still have foreign gods among them that they have brought with them either from Egypt or that they have kept with them from the land that they are now living in. And so my question to you is, what gods have you brought with you? Are there any place in your life that you have said yes to God and yet still bring foreign other gods with you? It's possible, this passage tells me it's possible to be in a place where you feel like you are saying yes to God and you feel like you are serving God and yet you are entertaining and allowing other gods to be present in your life. And they're not little idols or they're not little things of carved images. I I look at them oftentimes, it's one of the three Ps. It's usually either people, possessions, or positions that we allow to be gods in our lives. It could be people, and by people, it could be some of your closest people. Parents can set up kids as idols and gods. Kids can set up friends or parents or relationships. It could be a relationship that you really want. Maybe you want to be married uh, or something else you want. You set up in a relationship, and you set that up as a god in your life, and you give everything you have to it, and you make every decision based on it, and it's really a god in your life. But it doesn't have to be people you know closely. Could be people you've never met, but click like or that little heart on your social media page and you are living for people's praise. I live for people. Sometimes it's possessions. I just want that next house. I just want that next car. And I will give and sacrifice anything on the altar of getting that next possession or position. I'm going to get to this job. I'm going to make this amount of money. I'm going to reach this title. And I will sacrifice and give anything and everything to get there. But Joshua said to the people, God says to us today, it's easy to say yes to God sometimes and fail to say no to all the other things and the other gods in our lives. So Joshua says, no, you, you can't do it. And they said, we will do it. And he said, then make a covenant with God. And he says, your witness is against yourself, and so is this rock, which is interesting, right? <laughs> you are witnesses, and so is this rock. 
And we think that's strange, but it's not that strange. You know we do the same thing? We do the exact same thing. How many of you have been to a wedding? Been to a wedding, right? If you've been to a wedding, at the beginning of it, often the pastor will say, you have been invited here. Not just as participants to get free food and drinks at a party. You have been invited here as witnesses to the vows that are being made in this moment before the people and before God. Oftentimes in a wedding, when I'll do it, I'll say it this way. Only God alone will know how you live out in the privacy of your own heart and your own home, what you say now publicly in front of these witnesses. These are witnesses. I often take many weeks, months even, in premarital counseling to do one thing to make the couple understand the seriousness of the commitment they are about to make. You understand what you are doing. You are not only saying yes to her, and you are not only saying yes to him, you are saying no to all the other hers, and you are saying no to all the other hims. Do you understand the commitment that you're making? And these people that you've invited are witnesses that you've invited in an endeavor to help you keep that covenant and commitment and hold you accountable to it. And that's what Joshua is saying. And we don't have set up rocks, or do we? We just wear them on our fingers. You have that rock, you have that ring that you wear on your finger as a witness to the vows that you have made, that every place you go, that that ring is a testimony to the vows that you have made to one another to keep the covenant that you have made. So we do the same thing. And that's what Joshua is doing. He said, make a covenant, make a commitment to do this. And so you've said yes to God, man of God, woman of God, you've said yes to God. But are there things that you know that you're keeping around and hanging around as little G-gods that you have yet to say no to, that God wants you to say no to today? See, I'm talking today to uh, not necessarily if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus and you, you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus. I think you came on a great Sunday if that's you because you get to hear and understand the commitment that God is calling you to. But I'm really talking today to the Christian who's come in and been in church and says, I follow Jesus, yes. But maybe isn't growing because there's a lot of other little gods we've let hang around our life that we haven't said no to yet. And so what are the gods, what are the places in your life that you have not, that you have allowed to hang around? Because saying yes to God means I will say no to sin, I will say no to those things that lead me into sin, I will say no to those things that, 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 that give me a pathway to sin in my life. And some people will mock you for it. A couple of years ago, there was a big to-do in the news about Mike Pence and what people called the Pence Rule. The Pence Rule was that he would be alone with no other woman other than his wife, even as the vice president of the country because of that commitment that he'd made. And people made fun of that, called it the Pence Rule. It's actually the Graham Rule. And he adapted it from Billy Graham who made that as a resolution of his when he started his ministry. But why did he have it? Because he had taken his vows and his commitment to God and to his wife so seriously. He said, I said yes to her. I say no to all the other hers. And I will do whatever I have to to fulfill that vow. And so to God. I say yes to you, God. 
I say no to all the other gods. As we consider and close with thinking about how serious this commitment is, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, a German pastor, said it this way. He was pastor during Hitler's time and in Germany, and um, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die, saying that even myself can be a God. My own life, God, nothing comes between me and you. As we consider the application and the implications of this for our lives, let me give one final uh, context to the passage. We picked it up in verse 14. But if we had read a little earlier, here's what you would have heard. Just before Joshua calls these people to commitment, he rehearses all the blessings that God has done for them. He says, remember that God brought you up out of Egypt. Remember that God miraculously took you across the Red Sea. Remember that God did all this. Remember that God defeated all these kings. Remember what God did. Remember all of this and then choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the God that brought you up out of this or are you going to serve the gods you brought with you? Which is it going to be? And that's an important context. Because when God comes to you, he is not just saying, well, choose, you know, here's the road. Just, just pick one. No, he's saying, first, understand and look what God has done. And then choose. Rehearse the blessings in your life that God has given you life. That God has created you. That God sustains you. And then choose this day whom you will serve. If I were to do it in this church... I would go through the history, I would go through the history of this church and I would say, Mount Hope, remember what God has done, that God has done, how he is, how he, how he, back in the 1970s, there wasn't a Mount Hope, there wasn't a church like this here and he birthed the dream in Pastor Harvey and Gene Meppling's heart and said, put a church in Lexington. And it was a dream. It was only a dream at that point. And how God, they sat at the door one of the first day wondering if anyone's going to show up. Looking out the door, is anyone going to come? And how God provided people from that very beginning and that very first Sunday in Lexington. Remember Mount Hope, I would say, all the buildings and the places that God provided for you to meet when you had no place to meet. I think there were six different buildings in Lexington. Remember Mount Hope, how God, when you couldn't meet in Lexington anymore because the town of Lexington basically said, we're not going to rent any more buildings to you. That there was a guy named Bob from this church who drove down Lexington Street in Burlington and said to Pastor Meppling, do you think you heard God wrong? Maybe you thought God said Lexington, but God just said Lexington Street. And remember how God opened up this building that needed a massive renovation that had been a graffiti board and a hangout for the town with every window broken. And God provided everything you needed to move in here. Remember how God provided the people and, and all the ways, all along the journey, various times of ministry, various times of need. I, I would talk about, remember how when you needed more space for your school and for the church, you needed a large building and, and you were gonna build something and the only thing you owned was an old broken down van. And God somehow provided the money 
and made a way with the town that said, no, you can't build there. You can't build on that property. You can't do it, and we won't help you, and there's no way to do it. And I remember going into those meetings with the town administration time and time again, and they said, no, no, no. I remember the, going in one last time with Bernie Driscoll and saying, Bernie, we're going we're gonna to ask him once more. When I know they've, it's been asked and answered, and they said no to us every time because we were asking not just to let us build, we were asking for money and rent forgiveness and all this stuff, and they said no. And I said, we're going to do it one more time, and we prayed, and we walked in before that town administrator, and we slid a piece of paper across the table, and we said, you know, we, this is what we want to do. Will you do it? And he said, yeah, I think we can do that. Remember that God did that. Remember the way God does those things. And remember when that FLC and the construction and every, all the difficulties, I'm not going to rehearse them all, but God provided. It took three times more than time and twice as much money, and yet God provided. Now choose this day whom you will serve. Remember when you didn't know what you were going to do next and and then God gave you a building in Belmont. You couldn't buy it, so he gave it to you. He gave it to you and it needed work and yet God provided and we just had finished paying, you know, a project on this building and yet God brought in the money to renovate a new building and it needed renovation. Somehow God provided it. And this morning there are hundreds of people meeting over in Waverly Square in Belmont and hearing the gospel preached because God provided it. I remember a meeting on a summer Sunday afternoon when I came before the members of this church. And it was a summer, gorgeous summer Sunday. And uh, you would have rather be at the beach and but after ch- go to the beach after church. But we met in this room on a hot summer Sunday because I stood up and I said, we, we've come very far in Belmont, but we need to put in a new air conditioning system. We need to put in a new heating system. We don't have the money. It wasn't in our budget. We can't do it. And that's, you know, but this is the Lord has this project for us. And I just laid that out before the membership. And I remember in that meeting, I remember the first man that stood up and said, my wife and I will give 5,000. And then another guy stood up and said, we'll give five. And someone else said, we'll give three. And we'll give one. And then we can give 100. And I remember one little young man stood up and said, we'll give, I can give $5. And we walked out of that room with $60,000 and $5 pledged towards this system and it was done and the building was open and remember what your God has done and now choose this day whom you will serve. See, that's the background. Remember everything that God has done for you and then Joshua stands up and choose this day. Are you gonna serve the God who brought you up out of all this or are you gonna serve those gods you brought with you? And it's true in your life. Remember what God has done. The prayers he answered that you prayed. The times he protected you when you weren't even praying about it. The prayers he didn't answer that were for your good. Remember what God has done in your life. And if nothing else, 
If there were no other things you can remember, then remember this. You were lost and dead in your transgressions and sins with no way back to your holy heavenly father. And God sent his son to this earth to make a way for you where there was no way so that if you would put your faith and your trust in him, that you can be in right relationship with your heavenly father and your sins are forgiven and you can know God. Remember that and then choose this day whom you will serve. See, that's the context. Remember that God has given and provided for you a way. We just read it in Titus when I was serving communion. We read it. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not because of works you did, but because of what God did. So now, with that context, with that background, will you not only say yes to God, but will you say no to all the other gods? And here's the beautiful thing about Christ. He knows, God knew you couldn't keep the covenant and so he sent Christ to make a new covenant with you. That it wouldn't be through your effort to keep the vow, but through your faith in Jesus Christ that salvation will be granted to you. That's the new covenant. And as we put our faith in him, if we are to grow and to walk with him, then we need to say no and put away all these other gods. And so as we close this service out this morning, here's what I want to do as we close. You received a little piece of paper when you came in this morning. Looks like this. If you don't have it, just raise your hand and Usher will bring one to you, find you. But hopefully you got one. Just take that out. It looks like this. And um, find a pen. If you didn't bring one with you, hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you, near you, close to you. Pull that out. And here's what I want us to do. If you are in here, and maybe, again, I'm talking to people who have said yes to God, Christians who have said, yeah, I'm going to follow God. But maybe this morning, I, I'm, I'm not maybe, I know that God is speaking to many people this morning, that yes, you've said yes to me, but you've got other gods you've brought with you that you have let hang around. What are those other gods? Here's a few questions that might help you identify things that could be other gods in your life. You can just put those all up. John, just put those questions up. What do you daydream about? How do you spend your money? Where do you go when you're anxious? What elicits your uncontrollable emotions? Sometimes questions like this might help you to say, is there something else in my life that I am going to for my ultimate security, protection, provision? Something, where do you go when you're anxious? Where do you go? Do you go to God or do you go to something else? What elicits your uncontrollable emotions? This could help identify there's other things in my life that I've brought along with me that I need to say no to. So I want you as the team plays, here's what I want you to do. This little piece of paper, I want you to write down your gods. If you've got any other gods in your life, you got any other things in your life that you have given worship to and only God deserves what's worship. I've given my ultimate time, energy, and allegiance to. I look to them. I look to those things, uh, people, possessions, positions, as providing ultimate meaning in my life and not God. 
I've allowed them to take something from me that only belongs to God. I've put them in a place in my life that only God deserves to be in. As the team plays, I want you to take a moment and write those down on this piece of paper. I'll tell you, when we did this in the first service and I did it for myself, it's sobering to be that honest with your own heart. To be that honest with yourself and to say, you know what, this thing, this feeling, or this thing has too much power in my life. And I need to say no to this. And then here's what I want you to do as we afterwards as a kind of participatory way to symbolize what we're doing here. You'll take this piece of paper on your way out. I don't want you to take your gods out with you. I want you to get rid of them. We're saying no to them. We're laying them down. We're saying God, yes to you. So beside the doors on your way out, there are all the doors. There's a little bowl of water. And if Amazon has not lied to me, this little piece of paper will dissolve in that bowl of water on your way out as we recognize that these are things we are saying no to. And we're saying yes to God. And we're not taking these out with us. So take a couple minutes. I'll come back and pray and close us in prayer after the team sings this song. And search your heart. Lord, it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves in this moment. So Lord, would your Holy Spirit seek our hearts, search our hearts? Because your word says that our hearts are deceitful and wicked. We don't even know them. So Lord, search our hearts. Help us to be honest with gods that we have brought with us, that we're still letting hang around in our lives. That if we're going to grow in you, if we're going to know you, if we're going to serve you, we need to go. Lead us now, we pray.